Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, it's that time again. Man, I can't believe we're back in the studio once again. We say every time in the intro, this is one of our favorite things to do. I, I, what I really wish I could do is quit my job and just do this. Yeah, uh, wouldn't that be great? It would be amazing. In yes. fact, that's kind of on my bucket list. If we could just, yeah, do this all day long and just kind of sit here and shoot shoot the breeze. Well, yeah. I think part of what draws us into this is that we've, we've figured out that it's actually helping people getting behind a microphone and having these conversations. And I think the, the, the thing that people are telling me is it's very nice to hear these conversations happen in the privacy of my own home or vehicle and get the information without having to just get out there and say, yes, my life is chaotic, you know, which is pretty interesting. We're able to reach into people's worlds and say, hey, here is some helpful information. Yeah, uh, maybe all of our lives are chaotic. You know, that's that's one of the things you figure out in this journey. It's like, man, we're not alone. Yeah, uh, I always and, ask my client base to define normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say it's just a setting on the dryer. That's right. That, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah, permanent press, normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no, it. That's no all. one is normal. Maybe maybe we should do an episode titled No what One is, is... Yeah, What, what is, is Normal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem is we, we're not even anywhere close to the average or the median in society of normal. I no. don't, we'd have to bring in a guest for sure. Yeah, well, we, have, we do have fake book uh, to help us figure out what normal mm, is. That is true. That yeah. is true. Speaking of bringing in experts, though... <laughs> Man, have our guests been lights out lately oh, or man. what? It has been just fun, fun, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Uh, the the level of honesty, and I think for me that this may be the magic to this podcast is we're just fully committed to honesty. We just don't have time for anything else anymore. There's a sense of urgency in our society. There's a sense of ur- urgency over family dynamics. I mean, there's just no need any longer to try to bypass the truth. It's not helping anyone. We've proven that over and over again. It's time to get serious. Yeah, uh, you probably get this question often, but people will ask me, uh, like, how do you sit and listen to people's problems all day long? And I may have talked about this before, but it it, it continually comes up. People say that all the time, and uh, well, my my response is now, man, I it is life giving because I'm sitting uh, in a room with people that are actually talking about real stuff, mm. and uh, it is life giving. Because we're getting down into the the bone and the marrow of the reality of life, but like if I got to go to some dinner party or some social function, it that is life sucking. Uh, it it is draining because mm. uh, it's just all shallow and fake and nothingness. You're not a wave tops guy no, anymore. I just I can't do it anymore. I'll I admit behind this mic though, I used to be that guy as well, a as a chameleon. I loved those environments. Yeah. Was I could be anything I wanted to be during that time, you know, emotionally. It's not like I was faking my whole life, but I, in those moments, in those hours, I could just chameleon myself to the hilt (laughs) and have a great time, you know, just interviewing other people and, oh, yeah, yeah, tell me more about that. It was the complete shadow side of who I actually was. Well, you you were a pastor. (laughs) 
wasn't talking about the lobby, Ron. Sorry, sorry. You know, it's just it's so easy. I just, it's just, yeah. You got paid to do that. Yeah, be a chameleon. You can always count on you to shame me at the beginning of these episodes. Never be honest. Hide all your crap. Yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. This is the part where we say, "I did that differently, though." Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just lost all our pastor listeners again. (laughs) Again. Maybe they keep coming back, hoping that for the honesty, it's gonna be it's gonna be different. But no, it's just pretty consistent. So you said something a couple of weeks ago when we were together, and it it really arrested me hearing this way that you pointed out the difference between those two things. And it's teaching that we give men a lot, but for whatever reason at that time, I was like, wow, this this could be revolutionary for people who are, especially relationally, they're locked in conflict because they're actually arguing about the wrong things. This is the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, right? Mm. So you know that we're going to be talking about about sex. So if you're in, in the vehicle with your kids, you may want to put in the AirPods uh, for this one. Uh, but talking about the difference between uh, a sexual need, which I know already, I can uh, just calm down. We're going yeah, to talk yeah, about we're it. Getting there. A sexual need or a sexual desire and how couples get those, both male and female, get those things confused that they're, they're not the same thing. You know, there are differences between the two. Two very distinct things. Um, you know, basically, I think we go to the definition of certainly needs versus wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, needs are things that are essential to our survival. Um, and while wants are things that we may desire. And of course, when we get into sex, uh, for us men, uh, we've kind of been programmed culturally, uh, all the stuff that we've grown up with. And certainly we throw the porn thing in there and uh, desire gets t- twisted uh, around as, as a need. And it's one of the things fundamentally that I begin to work when I'm working with a guy is beginning to separate out, you know, uh, what is a need and what is a desire. And sex is a desire and not a need. Uh, I always say throughout recorded history, uh, not one time, and maybe it's out there, I just haven't come across it, Mm. but no man ever has died from lack of orgasm. Uh, but it's it's so prevalent uh, in the thinking that somehow I've got to have this. And it, it's not uh, because it is a desire. And our desires are, you know, God puts it on us to control our desires. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, the Genesis passage with Cain and Abel is that, you know, that word desire appears when Cain's getting ready to kill Abel, and God comes to him, and he says, uh, this desire uh, that is inside of you, if you don't master it, it will destroy you. And that Hebrew word is like all the dark desires, and certainly lust is in there, and murder, because that's the context, but it's all the dark desires, and and we can learn to control and manage our desires. So let's talk about this at a, at a very basic level, and by basic, I mean let's reduce the complexity because when, when spouses in particular start arguing, man, that is a complex situation. Uh, my question is around this. We experience this both male and female. 
as a need. I mean, that, that's where everybody starts, really. You know, this is a need of mine. And as I'm helping friends and my clients navigate even being single as adults, that this is the number one, even when I'm talking with clients about divorce, uh, which unfortunately we know does happen, one of the first questions that they ask me is, how am I supposed to be single and, and celibate? Like, I don't even know. They'd rather stay miserably married than face the prospect of not having sex until they link up with someone else. So where does that come from? Where, why do we convince ourselves that sex is actually a need? Well, I think it, you know, part of it is because we don't even understand our desires. Um, because up underneath the, the need or the desire for sex or the, the way we think it's a need is really it's a desire for connection. And that goes back to birth because, you know, when we're born, um, we are cut off from the whole. Uh, that's where the word sex comes from. Uh, it's like the word uh, dissect, um, bisect. It, it's, it, the Latin word is, is saccare, and it means to be cut off. So when we're born, we are cut off from the whole because we are actually part of another human being, mm-hmm. literally. And then we're cut off from that. And, and our desire is this reconnecting to the whole. And that's the long-term work of you know, recovery is this idea of connection. So it, it, it's all connected, but the desire for connection, we, we would call it a longing for intimacy, not sex. Intimacy is just simply my desire for knowing and being known, um, for connection, emotional connection. But what happens, sex becomes the form of connection in so many relationships. So what we're actually after, the thing feels like, and I use that word intentionally, it feels like connection, but in the end, it's temporary. It really isn't. Is that how it works? So this is why we have multiple partners or the desire just cannot be satisfied and we start arguing about number of days per week that we're having sex. (laughs) That's what leads to all of that? Oh yeah, because it's it, the deeper desire is connection. Uh, even in you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know at the bottom level are just the physiological needs, right? And that's uh, food, clothing, shelter, the basic needs for survival. Well, there's a guy named Dr. Matthew Lieberman. Uh, his book is called Social, and he proposes that 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 Maslow got it wrong because the basic human need, it is connection. Because a human baby cannot survive without connection to another human being. And so that basic, at the core of who we are, connection is what we're after. Because it, it, that, that is actually a need. Um, and so I, I love the idea that, that it is food, clothing, shelter, and connection because survival depends on it um, as a human baby. And that longing for connection is what is up underneath the desire, the, the sexual desire. So we attach that to sex, and, and you would say, or a question I would pose to you is, we have inflated the importance of sex in our lives because we have this underpinning that is basic to all humans of being connected, and we have associated the primary or most important, and probably because it's linked to so much pleasure, uh, oh, yeah. is sex. That is the way to be connected. 
Yeah, and I mean, certainly, you know, in a in a healthy relationship, in a married relationship, uh, we certainly come from a faith based perspective and uh, believe that that is uh, the the what sex was designed and created for. Um, we will use sex for connection, even in marriage, uh, because we don't know how to do intimacy. So much of what we work with, we just call it an intimacy disorder. Uh, because the problem is we don't know how to connect on deeper levels. Um, and when you're working with a couple, you know, the, and I'm just going to use the man as the problem because he's, you know, been looking Why at Why not? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> I'm not dumb enough to say it's women are the problem. Um, but, the, you know, okay, the guy's gotten busted, found out uh, watching porn, and then that becomes the problem. Um, and it certainly is a problem. I'm not saying that. However, the dynamics of the relationship are problematic as well. And that's why it takes two people uh, if you're married, uh, in order for this recovery thing to be uh, to actually work, because you you can't make a relationship by yourself. That takes two people, and for each person in the relationship coming to that understanding that uh, there are issues on both sides of the fence when it comes to intimacy. And, and again, I always have to you know, offer the caveat that intimacy is not sex. Uh, the, that got twisted around sex, um, even biblically in translations, uh, that sex, uh, intimacy became a euphemism for sex. And that is just, um, has done a terrible disservice because it really, uh, ultimately, it was a spiritual term attributed to relationship with God, knowing our Creator and being known by Him. And at the root of every coupleship is an intimacy disorder. And certainly, we've got to deal with the the, the infidelity, the pornography, the uh, whatever form that has taken. But the deeper issue, the long-term issue, is moving from unhealthy uh, relationship, unhealthy uh, intimacy, uh, which is really false intimacy, into true intimacy, what God created and designed it to be. But that takes two people, and it takes a lot of work, because... What we saw modeled growing up, mom and dad's marriage or not marriage or whatever we grew up in is our model, and we are playing that out in the relationship, and each person in the relationship has that baggage in some way, shape, or form. It may look different uh, for the husband, and it looks different, his looks different than hers, but it's always there. So th- what you've actually done just now, and I don't, I don't know that you realized you were doing it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but just listening from this side of the table, you've really explained, or you've given an answer to when people say, well, why would I go to counseling? Or why would I go to therapy? That just that doesn't make any sense. I'm over that. I've moved past that. And we, we've assigned a, a very narrow group of things that would require going to therapy. But the problem that you just described, I would say, is universal. Uh, we all mirror what was modeled for us and guaranteed because every marriage has it 
their inconsistencies, their immaturities when it comes to intimacy, and we've picked up on those and we're, we're living those out. Uh, I often ask my clients, hey, who taught, the first time you heard the word intimacy, where was it? Was it from your father? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Negative. Negative. Most guys are like, hey, I'm uh, 40. I'm still waiting on the sex talk. You yeah, know? and it's, yeah, the birds and the bees. Yeah. I, love, I always love that when somebody says that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's when you know, right? So it, it, it makes a lot of sense that this is an intricate problem. And we find that this offers a great deal of freedom to couples who are caught in the, the chaos of sex, in the chaos of sexual brokenness that works its way out in pornography or extramarital affairs, to be able to say there is a there are a lot of ingredients in this recipe. And it's not just a one-sided issue. It's a, it's a two-sided issue. And we're not casting blame, but we do need to walk 360 around the couple and say, what are all the things that could be influencing the way that things are going right now? And that just takes time. And it takes someone external to the marital dynamic <laughs> to be able to bring some truth to it. And honestly, to give enough space for each member of the couple to pull out what's going on underneath the surface. So the, I, I'd like to take the conversation this way, if, if we could. Um, I'm going to pretend like I'm asking you permission. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I've done, never do. That's right. I've done, thankfully, a little bit of my work and I've noticed in my own story, become aware in my own story, that I was using physical pleasure to regulate unwanted emotions. So it put me in a posture where it did feel like I needed, uh, much like someone who's addicted to a substance. I need this thrill of this chase, or I need this validation from this woman to settle down this unwanted emotion or feeling. And there's nothing else that can do that for me. So I have to go to this thing. Do you see that happening a lot when you're interacting with men? That's usually the case or oh, a yeah. lot of the times the case? Yeah. Because, you know, as men, just from an emotional standpoint, we're we're kind of behind the eight ball, so to speak, because we don't know how to do emotions. Uh, for women, you know, certainly there are some women that don't, but, but typically women uh, just are wired uh, for emotion. They're wired for relationship. And so they do it better than we do mm -hmm. uh, just because of the fundamental uh, creation. And so what we've gotten as men is just as, you know, basically big boys don't cry, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and, you know, you'll be okay, rub some dirt on it, right? <laughs> and so we don't do emotions well. And it's one of the things that I see, um, it, it, I call it, you know, our emotions are, are, are kind of siloed or compartmentalized. Because um, that's why, you know, when we're in uh, addict mode, uh, we're, we live in the extremes. And we live in the extremes emotionally because emotionally, I don't know how to handle of you know feelings of sadness. Uh, I don't know how to handle feelings of fear, which is anxiety. I don't know what to do with that because I've never been coached. I've never been taught. Probably did not see it modeled very well by my father. Uh, certainly, I didn't, um, and I know you didn't either. Mm. And that's the case for most men. And so we'll go extreme, and, and it becomes almost like black and white. It's either all good, and that's kind of the pleasure side. And, and if I'm doing this, I feel good. 
But if over here, it's like, oh man, there's I'm I'm sad, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and a lot of times I'm not even aware of it because I haven't taken the time to really begin to become aware of what's going on inside of me emotionally, and so I just shut that down and I go for the pleasure, the comfort, uh, the validation of another person sexing me because oh now I feel good, mm-hmm. I'm wanted, I'm desired, um, and so it. it it becomes this construct of I am I've got to go get this in order to be okay, and we will use our wives. Uh, we call it vaginal masturbation often, uh, and it, it's not connected sex. It's just um, uh, unhealthy sex, and so I've got to be able to begin to understand what's going on inside of me. Not that you know I got to start going and emoting everywhere that's that's kind <laughs> those of, guys make me cringe me too that's kind of pathetic <laughs> yeah. uh, but i've got to be aware of what is going on inside of me and so we take this desire that is legitimate and then we make it illegitimate because we're basically bypassing um, the the whole process of intimacy and connection and sex is connecting. There's there's no doubt. Uh, it's a connecting act, um, and it's one reason we'll you know watch porn, watching people connect. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe a bunch of people on the screen connecting. Yes, but we're we're voyeuristically longing for connection. So is this what allows a relationship in the infatuation phase to survive, to thrive? Because I often see this bell curve where we meet, it's exciting, there's usually a communal aspect to that. Then we isolate, we engage in this behavior sexually and everything is just amazing and I love you forever and we we will, and let's not even talk about the falling in and falling out of love. That's a totally separate episode. Uh, But then you see, and, and some couples are, are able to ride this wave for two years, you know, three years, but eventually you see reality coming to call. Like, wait a minute, there there has to be more than just this. And I often see with the people that I work with, the female usually wakes up to this first. This isn't authentic or genuine, however, you, whatever word you would want to layer on top of it. But that is a very common dynamic inside of marriages, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, we, we, we keep that crazy tucked in pretty well uh, during the dating process. <laughs> uh, Keith, don't, don't show that, say right? That. Well, well, part of it, too, it doesn't really surface until we get into it, right? Because then what happens, it's, it's what we saw model begins to show up. Right, what we learned, uh, what we experienced um, in in seeing our our parents uh, relating or not relating, and then all of that begins to show up once we get past the chemical process of infatuation, and that infatuation stage of relationship. Um, man, everything's glorious, right? This person is the greatest person ever, and they can do no wrong until you start living under the same roof and then all the little quirks and all the little things that drive us crazy begin to surface and then you see the uh, you know we get into our heads and we get into rejection and abandonment and uh, attachment and all those things that we did not get and now we're trying to get it from somebody that probably doesn't know how to give it either because they didn't get it when they were growing up and so now you got two ticks without a dog Mm. 
and and then they show up in our office. Right. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, they would begin talking to someone about this. But, yeah. you know, speaking of being a pastor, I was involved with a lot of weddings. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially, that was an exciting thing to be able to stand with people who are uniting uh, before God in holy matrimony <laughs> and all of those things. But over time, I will be honest with you, I grew very cynical. I hated doing weddings. I am so glad I don't have to do those things anymore because once I learned, and, and maybe this is another layer of this conversation, but once I learned the top of the addiction cycle is fantasy, then that's the primary way that I viewed all of the shenanigans around two lives coming together. It feels completely like fantasy. And and, you, and if you think it's not, then you just need to be in the room with, with the groom and the groomsman to understand that's reality. <laughs> I wish we could shoot a GoPro into that room in that and then oh. walk and show it to the bride and say, this is this is what's real. Yeah. I, I know you have the napkins that you wanted and everybody's getting the beautiful hors d'oeuvres and we have an open bar and you've been dreaming about this dress for your whole life. But the second you take that off tonight, this is what you're going, this is it right yeah, here. Yeah, that's what you got. That's what you got, you know. So and I'm not trying to blame, you know, all the women that's like, hey, you're just participating in fantasy. The men are participating in it as well, almost from the jump. You know, we're doing this dance that isn't reality, which is why it's so great when people have this extended courtship or dating period (laughs) because reality is going to accidentally show up at one point or another. But the whole construct construct in our society, basically we publicly want to celebrate this fantasy. And then when it hits the fan inside of the marriage, there's no one to be found. Right. Oh yeah. I often, you know, will say that, you know, you know, women, and and of course they've been programmed. Um, It's all the stories, you know, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, you know, the knight on the white horse, the prince is going to come and kiss them and, Mm. and ride away on the white horse into the sunset and live happily ever after. Well, that's just not the way it works because what, what you actually get is a you get a, a a drunk guy riding a donkey backwards. I mean that's because that's that's the. Yeah, I wish that, that wasn't true. It's just true, right? I mean that's the bachelor party and the and the groomsman in the room as you're talking about before the that, there's reality, mm, right? And, yeah. And and so you've got basically these two fantasies that are colliding because you know in a man's head, oh wow, we're going to get married and I'm going to have all the sex that I want and and that's going to take care of my porn problem, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to be the cure all. And of course we know it doesn't work uh, because marriage is emotional distress and emotional distress is what's driving our acting out behavior. Mm-hmm. And we may be able to contain that and kind of hold that underwater like you know a beach ball for a little while but boy when things start ramping up we're going to go back to the thing that worked for us mm. and that's why you'll see guys you know like i'm good i'm good i'm good and then they're back into the porn or whatever it is when things heat up and they will so let's get back to the part of the conversation of the the needs versus desires, because admittedly, that can be confusing, uh, especially when you drop it into a marital dynamic. And I know all of our listeners aren't married. We don't need to assume that. But a lot of them are, are probably in relationships or have been in relationships. Yeah, if you're not married, pay attention. Yeah, yeah. right. The sooner, <laughs> be on the lookout. <laughs> sooner you can engage with reality, the better. Uh, but it, it can be difficult. And I'm admitting just a little bit of vulnerability here. It can be difficult to determine 
which is which. So are there tests or is there definition that we could say, all right, if it falls into this uh, column, it's this. If it falls into mm-hmm. this column, it's this. And then additionally, how do we start talking to the people that we're involved with, especially sexually, about this conversation? Man, that seems frightening. Oh, it is uh, because it's vulnerable, right? Uh, when we start becoming aware and uh, understanding you know, what we grew up in and, you know, it wasn't all good. It wasn't all bad either. It's not blaming that, but it's just reality. And, uh, you know, part of our awareness and part of our growth is I've got to begin to understand that and I've got to figure out the things that I didn't get and I've got to go get those. And oftentimes, you know, it's not our spouse that is going to meet all of those needs that are legitimate needs. Uh, the the need to be heard and understood, you know, those seven desires that we talk about, mm-hmm. uh, to be affirmed, to be blessed, which means to add life to, to be safe, emotionally safe, to be touched, uh, which is not just sexual touch, to be included and to be chosen. And when we didn't get those needs met, um, then we're going to try to be getting those met in typically an illegitimate way because we don't know how to do it in a legitimate way. And we will pout and we will sulk and we will withdraw and we'll get angry and we'll go defensive and we'll do all the things that we do longing for connection but mm-hmm. sabotaging it every step of the way. So it's, it looks like this, I guess I would propose, and then you correct me if I'm wrong. You're having a conversation with your spouse or your significant other and what you're thinking is, I need sex. <laughs> How do I make that happen? You know, what's my plan all I'll day? I'll do the dishes. All yeah. day I will make, you know. <laughs> uh, but to be able to replace that internally, male or female, to replace that internally, being able to tell yourself, I need connection. Amen. I, I need connection. Here's the problem with that, I think. I know how to have sex. I don't know how to connect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not going to go towards a deficiency in that way. I'm just going to accept the the false solution to the problem. So maybe we should wrap this episode in the next couple of minutes talking about connection. And, and you make the point frequently that of all those seven basic desires of the heart, uh, needs of the heart, that they can all happen without sex. A hundred percent. I always say, you know, I'm, uh, we're, you and I both are very fortunate, blessed. Uh, the you know we have life added to us uh, by a lot of men hmm. uh, because we do life together, and you know all of those needs, those desires of the heart can be met in a healthy men's group. Right, even touch. You know, not having sex with any of the guys in my men's group, but uh, we do hug. You know, every time we see each other, mm-hmm. and I mean that's just basic human touch that we all need. So those can all be met in a healthy group, uh, whether it's your man or woman getting a healthy group, and um, you know those things will happen. And so when we start getting those met, well, now I'm able to sit in a relationship with someone that I love and am committed to because now I've been practicing over in this other space uh, how to do this. And then I can get on the playing field. But it requires vulnerability. And vulnerability is, you know, just being honest, being transparent. Uh, What's going on in my crazy head? Um, You know, the things that I'm doing. Uh, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to keep secrets. I'm going to show up in the relationship. 
But when we've grown up and we've never experienced that, man, we are emotionally well defended. Mm, So to be able to move into a space that is with same gender, we should put it that way. Yeah. That we know, here's how we, the test that we put in place. Have you done your work? Amen. You know, are, are, is your life less chaotic than mine? It's <laughs> a good way to put that. Um, have you done your work? And we get into this, this area, this arena, we sit in these circles and we start to get reps. I see so many men, especially, that, for instance, will listen to a podcast episode on the way home from work and decide today's the day. You know? Yeah, I'm going to. I'm just going to let all this out. I'm going to mm. say all these things. I'm going to vomit all over my spouse, and then you, you know, no, just don't do that. Don't do that. Whatever you, you do, don't you, try this at home. Do not. You move. <laughs> you move into an arena, and it's going to take. Here's maybe some brutal honesty. It's going to take some work, man. It's going to take some work to find that arena and then begin opening up. And all you're doing is sharing your story and allowing other people to drop wisdom into your life. So just to parrot some of that that happened in my own story, as we sat together in a, in a therapy setting, as I sat on the deck in this deer camp that we talk about often, for me to be armed with the information that I can look at my wife and say, I want you but I don't need you. Mm. Mm. I mean, if I were to say that in Sunday school, right, I would get kicked out. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but it is one of the most healthy things that ever, has ever happened in my marital dynamic. And my wife met me with, oh, thank goodness. You know? <laughs> I mean, she was so, finally. finally, she was so glad to hear that. I would not have figured that out uh, just by trying to box around and engage in the existing dynamic inside of my marriage. I had to get into a group of men who had, and we're going to talk about this in a future episode episode, have figured out how to break away from codependence Oh yeah, and understand that I can, and this is a little bit of soft language, but I can be filled up. My cup can be full sitting with other men and experiencing connection and intimacy with those other men. Then I go home less determined to have sex with my wife as if, as if it is a need. If we don't do that, then somebody's unplugged me and I can't make it through the next day. I've experienced fulfillment and purpose and connection in a way that allows me to present to my spouse, my significant other, as settled. Um, it's so much easier to engage with intimacy with your spouse if you don't present as needy, right? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's we talk about it often, that idea that, you know, I want to take my strength to the woman and not my neediness. Because, mm. uh, boy, it, she picks up on it, right? And she knows if I'm being needy and needing sex. And, you know, my experience... I, uh, my wife, she doesn't like that, <laughs> she, and she lets me know. Yes, um, uh, but but oftentimes, you know, we're living in you know from kind of a victim mindset, and certainly when we're acting out in whatever form that takes, uh, we're producing shame, and so my shame will keep me in this needy position because somehow I feel less than, I feel unworthy of love, even because that's what my shame tells me. And so I'm kind of going to my wife, begging her to validate me in some way. And, you know, that's not her job. 
uh, my validation comes from certainly, you know, first and foremost, who Jesus tells me I am. And then I got to have Jesus with skin on other men telling me who I am or reminding me of that. And uh, we have to encourage one another daily, as Paul told us. And that just simply means to put heart into one another. And, and when, you know, the Bible talks about heart, it's always about that's emotions, right? Mm. And so I've got to be dealing with my emotions. I've got to be aware that I actually have them. And, but boy, so often uh, as men, we just put all of our emotional eggs in the wife basket, expecting her to meet all of our emotional needs that most of the time we don't even, we don't even know what those are. Mm, that's a really crummy thing to do to somebody. It sucks. Isn't yeah, it? it's a terrible thing. <laughs> wow, thanks for attaching to me <laughs> and making me make this better for you for yes, the rest of our lives. I need you to complete me. Yeah, Jerry Maguire. I was yeah. just thinking that. It's like we have this combination of Jerry Maguire and the really nice Jesus that Christianity oh, in the West yeah. has given us. And we're trapped. I mean, we like those are our solutions. You complete me and... And I need to present, especially in religious communities, as if this woman or this man is my everything. Oh, yeah. They are my everything. It's like Nicholas Sparks meets... Hallmark movie. Give me a break. It's so terrible. And when we're in that, we know that we don't like it. No. But it's what's sold to us. And and the, the crazy part about this is we feel like we should like it. Yeah. So it's a little difficult to separate out. So let's kind of put a pin in this episode because I, I want to make sure we get enough time to discuss codependence because that is yeah. that is just to the right of the conversation we're having right now. Uh, would we say together today that the list of needs is very small? It really is. When you boil it down, um, I mean, it, it it's pretty basic, right? Um, and that's why, you know, if, I mean, of course, our culture we live in and uh, the, in the West and America uh, is like all of our basic needs are met, right? Hmm. Uh, if we were out there having to forage for food and, you know, try to find a cave to sleep in, uh, we wouldn't be uh, focused on this self-actualization and self-esteem and all these things where we start getting up in our mind and we live in our head and, and we're we're thinking too much about things that really don't matter uh, because basic needs are basic needs. And then if we focus on healthy relationships, uh, loving uh, others well, which is kind of the goal of the Christian journey to be a great lover because that's what Jesus was and it's not mamby-pamby. It's truth-telling. It's confronting. It's hard. It's a choice. Uh, there's a lot to love. And again, culturally, we you know, we don't know what that is. Uh, and the church has kind of done a terrible job of like, what is love other than, you know, Jesus up there in the stained glass holding his little, you know, therapy support animal. Mm. He loves the little children. And it's like, man, it, we've, we've been sold a bill of goods uh, on, on a lot of different fronts. It frustrates me a lot to exist in a world where love being fierce has been yeah. bastardized yeah. and even 
demonized. Oh yeah, it's a threat. It's a threat. Oh my gosh, this this person is so aggressive. You're so aggressive, and look at where that's taken us. Yeah, you know? uh, I think the goal, and I would hope the goal of all of our listeners would be to reclaim so many of these words like intimacy, like love, to be able to say, I can be fierce with my love. I mean, w- certain looks that I get in my eyes as I'm looking out to the culture around me, it's because I love my family and I'm looking to protect my mm-hmm. family. And you're going to think, man, that guy's not very nice. <laughs> you're damn right I'm not very <laughs> that, nice. Exactly. You're threatening my son, so yeah. I'm not going to be nice. And I really don't give a damn how you feel about me. hundred percent. I mean, I think some of that's got to move its way back in because we have so many of us who, and when I talk with men, especially when we start having that kind of conversation, the first thing they throw back to me is, well, my wife would never go for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then I say back to them, how do you know? Yeah. You've never done it. <laughs> how do you know? That's a great point. It may be the very thing that she's looking for, and it may be the very thing that your children are looking for, is for you to activate, for you to car, for you to initiate yeah. around these big issues. So just to convince the people listening that going victim is not nearly as attractive <laughs> as you think it is. It is not. And uh, man... I've seen it when a guy really begins to, I guess, man up is maybe the wrong word, but I know but, what you mean. But just you know, uh, becoming well boundaried, uh, knowing what you're about as a man, uh, your values and your integrity, which that that is boundaries, um, and I've got to get that real clear in my head. I've got to define that, write it out, and this is what I'm about. This is who I am, and then I've got to live that out. Um, but when we're just trying to please and appease and go along to get along and be nice, mm, dude, my experience, uh, women, uh, you may think that they like that, but boy, they don't because eventually they're just going to be, they will become controlling because nature abhors a vacuum. They will fill the void and they will get things done because they have to, because as men, we are naturally passive and we'll just let it happen. And, um, and you know, you have to know that when you begin to kind of figure out who you are and kind of stand up, uh, you know, the other person typically is going to give some pushback to that. But eventually, uh, that's where respect comes from, hmm. um, rather than uh, somehow just being viewed as a, you know, passive, uh, weak man who's you know, who has a mama and not a wife. Mm, that's a very troubling situation for people to find themselves in. <laughs> so just to circle back is, and to wrap this up here, I think because th- this is a conversation that covers a lot of different relational dynamics. Getting back to the original topic to essentially take some time and figure out what are the things that are wants of mine that we, we label desire, want kind of the same area. Mm-hmm. What are some things that are wants of mine that I'm treating as needs? And then who am I putting in jail if they don't meet those quote unquote needs? That's a great place to start that assessment Mm -hmm. and that awareness journey. Yeah. And part of it too, you know, we, we equate sex with love. And so, you know, our greatest need in all of life, uh, Scripture's clear about that, you know, God is love. And so our greatest need, it certainly is love and connection with God. Um, and, 
you know, when we we, we got to get that part straightened out first, uh, and then. But what happens? You know, sex gets twisted around the axle with love, and so now, because our greatest need is love, now sex is my greatest need, hmm. which is not a need; it's a desire. Yeah. But sex equals love, and that is so not true. Mm. Well, here's to more people getting that figured out and experiencing peace and settledness inside of their relationships because they have taken the step of courage to initiate these sort of conversations mm-hmm. in, their, in their most important relationships. We're for the people listening that are about to give this a shot. Oh, man. I always say, and of course, you know, the, the younger listeners won't know this movie, but City Slickers, if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, the old cowboy in the movie is uh, Jack Palance, great old Western uh, movie star. Uh, his name is Curly. And all he does is ride up to the City Slickers and he just looks at him and he goes, holds his finger up one thing. I believe the one thing, if we can get it straightened out in our lives, I do believe it is our sex and sexuality. Uh, It is core to who we are. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.